This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Now I want to get right to work today because we've got a lot of work to do if we're going to get through what we've got to get through together today. The first thing that I'm going to tell you today, which has been a theme and it's in your notes if you're taking notes, is that we were all created for a home that we've lost. We were all created for a home that we have lost. We were all created for a home that we've lost. Sin took away the home and the designation that we were given in our very original creation. We see that story unfold in Genesis 2 and 3, how God sets Adam into a garden that was created specifically by him, but because of sin, he is no longer allowed to live in that garden. He now has to work for a living. Things that were provided are now things that he has to work to create. All right, which is important because when we realize that this home that we were created for is something that we've lost it should shape the way that we live I shared with you that when I met with my counselor uh, my counselor asked me what I believed about heaven and and I shared some bible verses but then he said no what do you really believe about heaven and I was like well you know that's a great question and so I dove into the Bible and researched, and he said this, which is so profound. He said, the way that we think about eternity shapes the way that we live today. The way that we think about what happens in the afterlife changes our today. The way that we live today is shaped inversely by the way that we view our afterlife, which is why I think 1 Peter chapter 2 is so important. Y'all look at this. It's going to be on the screen with us today. My beloved ones, I beg you. Look how he's going to call us. Strangers and resident aliens as you are, I beg you to hold back from the fleshly desires that wage war against your true lives. I want you to leave that verse up there for a second. Notice that there is a true life that you were made for, but that there is a war going against you to take that away, and the way that we're supposed to live that allows us to actually live our true life is to live as strangers and resident aliens. To realize that this world is not our home. There's a home that we were created for that we lost. Number two in your notes today is that our rejection or reception of Jesus will determine our eternal life. It's going to determine whether we get to live in the home that we were created for or we're going to be rejected as we make the decision to reject that home. Look at the language that first that John chapter 1, the John the friend of Jesus uses in John chapter 1. Yet to all who received him, he gave the power to become sons of God, to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Leave this up there for a second. Okay? They were born from God. They were given a new life from God. And how did they get that? By receiving him. By, by receiving him. And the Bible says that when we receive him, we believe him. 
But when we reject, when we don't believe him, we reject God. All right? See, eternal life begins with the rejection or reception of God. Which is why I've told you in the past few weeks that when we receive God, when we choose to anchor our lives in the teachings of Jesus, when that's who we are, we begin to live a sort of heaven on earth. That we get to experience the presence of God here on earth. We get to see the things that were lost become found here on earth. We get to see the things that were broken become whole here on earth. Even though that is the ultimate destiny of heaven, we get to live heaven on earth. But when we say no to Jesus, when we say no to God, we start to live a sort of hell on earth. Because God pulls his presence back and his design is the best thing for us and we begin to experience hell in our finances, our relationships, and in our life in a way that we were never designed to. See, the reception or rejection of Jesus is eternally important and it eternally opens the door to the greatest promise that is ever anchored in the scriptures and that's the promise of heaven. That's what we're going to look at today. And I decided that it would be helpful for us if instead of talking about a lot of conjecture or just trying to convince you that heaven is the best thing for you, that we actually walked through the Bible and looked at what the Bible says about heaven. How many of y'all think that's a good thing, right? To look at what the Bible says about heaven, not what pastors and preachers and writers and theologians, just to, let's just look at the Bible together. Okay, And the first thing that I want you to understand about heaven is that when the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about two different heavens. Two different. This is probably one of the most confusing, and once we get it, one of the most clarifying things in the Bible. Look at what Revelation 21 says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. They had, there was a heaven that had passed away. And now there is a new heaven. There's two simple realities in this verse. Number one, the heaven we live in eternally is not the heaven that we go to right away when we die. There's a present heaven that we go to to be with the Lord now. But there's a future home that God is going to create. And number two... That on the day, on this day in the future, this day of judgment, on that day, the earth will be completely destroyed. There's going to be a new earth. And God will redeem it, and it will become our eternal home. So I'd like to start by kind of looking at scriptures that reference present heaven, and then we're going to progressively work towards what happens as we work towards our eternal home. All right, Revelation 6 gives us a glimpse into present heaven. As Revelation is this view of the friend of Jesus, John, he is in heaven. He's getting to see things that we would never see as he's being given this vision of what's to come. And in Revelation 6, he's really seeing Jesus as Jesus is preparing to come back as the king to, to overthrow all kings, to sit in the judgment seat. He's seeing all of this prepared. 
And then in verses 9 through 11, it says this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice. Pay attention to this. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. See, I want you to understand something about the present heaven. The present heaven is aware of injustice on earth, and it also appears that they grieve over it, that their hearts are grieved over it. Do you notice in the prayer what they say? God, how long until there is justice? How long until these men and these women who did, who, who did these horrible things to us are brought to justice? And notice what God says to them. No, 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 wait. Wait, I'm going to honor you here. I'm going to give you a white robe. But wait a little longer because there are other brothers and sisters that are going to join you. And they're going to wear the same white robe. Worldwide today, there are brothers and sisters that are dying even today as we speak for their faith in Jesus who are being added to that number. And it seems as if heaven is aware of the injustice, this current and present heaven, and mourns over the injustice, but that's not all that's happening in heaven. Because look at Jesus in Luke 15. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So it appears that not only is heaven aware of the injustice of this world, that they are aware of the movement of God and that they cheer and rejoice when God takes a step forward in his plan. When one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. What a powerful reality to know. That the current heaven seems to be aware of God's work and celebrates as the kingdom of God advances. So look at this first to kind of help us understand how this all kind of works together. Second Peter 3. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like, like we depicted earlier and talked about earlier, everything is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly life should you live? looking forward to the day that God is hurrying along. On that day, on that day that is coming, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised. A world, pay attention to this, filled with God's righteousness. That as God eventually takes what is earth and the heavens and destroys it, takes it back to its fundamental state and then brings it back to life, it's going to be brought back to the original design that God had for it. Think about that. That the message for you is that as we give our lives to Jesus that we are spiritually reborn, that there is a spiritual rebirth, but then one day, 
Our bodies will again resurrect from the ground. And on the day of judgment, we'll stand before God and we'll get as believers a new heavenly body that, every, that our bodies are going to be redeemed. Okay? We believe that the church is going to be redeemed. And this, God's taking it a step forward. I want you to see that God's saying the world itself is going to be redeemed. It's going to, just as Jesus was the first model of death, then resurrection, we then follow and the world follows with us. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. This is a verse that we often use to talk about the tension of death and heaven. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not home with the Lord. Notice where home is with the Lord. Yet we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. Do you remember the very beginning of creation? God created a home, put Adam in there. Do you remember who lived with Adam? Most of you want to say Eve, but it wasn't Eve. God lived with Adam. God, on a daily basis, went with walks with him. And they chatted. And they had a relationship, unlike a relationship with God that we've ever been able to know. And the Bible is saying that God is going to redeem our relationship with his self. That in heaven, we will be with God. We will be at home with the Lord. And this is so very important because a principle begins to emerge as we study heaven, and that's this, that heaven is all about Jesus. Heaven is all about Jesus. It's not about streets of gold. It's not about crowns. It's not about the the rejoice. Heaven is all about Jesus. That we get to be at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this as that passage continues. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. For we will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Which is why I think in Matthew 6 Jesus teaches and says that don't store up for yourself treasures on earth for those can be destroyed. How many of you know if you have a thing it's going to one day not be yours or be destroyed? Alright? Somebody else will live in your house one day. Somebody else will drive your car one day. Or it's going to be destroyed. And Jesus says no we, we We're going to stand one day and be judged for this earthly body and what we've done with it. And whether we stored up treasures in heaven. I love the great Tim Keller who said that if you think about it, what God is actually saying is that we have a home in heaven and we can renovate that home here on earth. We can renovate that home well before we get there. Now, when we think about judgment, I just want to bring some clarity to that. Theologians would say that when we die, we face a judgment of faith. 
whether we have received or rejected the work of God in our lives. And by that, immediately when we die, we go to heaven or we go to hell. We go to present heaven or we go to present hell. Okay? But when Jesus returns, there will be a final resurrection when again our spirits will be united with our bodies. We will be in perfect form at that point, but we will stand before God to be judged for what we've done. Theologians call that a judgment of reward. Where our actions and deeds, the treasures that we have stored up in heaven will be judged before God. Now, Jesus taught a lot about heaven. And it's so interesting that what he taught is so vastly different than what we think. Look at what he said in John 14. In John 14, he said, My father's house has many rooms. Notice how he talks about a house. He doesn't talk about streets of gold. He doesn't talk about running and playing. He's going to give us a metaphor of living in the same house. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Heaven is a house. And it's so interesting that we are so critical of other people so easy for us to not like other people even other people who are believers and I have a feeling that if there's a person or a type of person that you don't like God's probably going to put them in the next room (laughs) which means we probably have some work to do in our heart I love that quote from C.S. Lewis if I'm only going to live for 70 or 80 years. There's probably some things in my heart that I don't have to work on. But when I realize I'm going to live forever, there probably are a few things I need to get to work on. And that's one of those things that we need to get to work on. And it's not just a a house. As a matter of fact, it's a house that's so big it appears to be a city. And that's John shows us that in Revelation 21 where he says this, he carried me up, the Spirit of God carried me up in the Spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out from heaven. It shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And I did not see a temple. I didn't see a church in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Isn't it interesting? That we rejected home, and in the very end, God brings home to us. God brings home to us. Even after all of our rejection and all of our destruction, God brings it to us as a gift. And in that, we will experience our eternal home. And that's where many of us and the thoughts that are very biblical are anchored into what heaven is like. There in Revelation 22, 3, we see that no longer will there be anything that is accursed. Nothing's going to be wrong there. There's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no brokenness. Nothing will be accursed, but the throne of God and all of the Lamb and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. So here's what heaven is like. It's worship. Which is why when we worship, 
as believers, we experience heaven on earth. Revelation 21, verse 3. Look at what God's saying here. I heard a loud shout from the throne. Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with Him because heaven is all about God. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about returning to the original state where God is at the center of everything and we are given a chance to live with Him again. And when that happens, because that has happened, Revelation 24, or 21 verse 4 says this, that he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for all these things are gone forever. What a powerful promise. What a powerful promise. I want to give you three things. These are in your notes, observations about heaven today as we get ready to close. Number one, it's impossible to be excited about heaven if you're not in love with Jesus. It's impossible to be excited about heaven if you're not in love with Jesus. And to be honest with you, there are things that have excited us about heaven that have nothing to do with Jesus. But when you read the Bible, the Bible tells us that heaven is clearly about Jesus. I I honestly believe that God has hidden things from our knowledge so that we won't be excited about anything other than himself. Because it's impossible if you read the Bible and you understand what the Bible tells us about heaven to be excited about heaven if you're not in love with Jesus. And the problem, the problem for many of us lies in this truth, that if we're honest... We're too often trying to create a life we love in this world. And the thought, and I mean this sincerely, the thought of, oh, so what what if I have to leave my spouse behind? What if I have to leave my home behind? What if I have to leave our vacations behind? behind? What if I have to leave my car behind? What if I have to leave my friends behind? What if it's only Jesus? The problem is, is that really, if we're honest in many of our hearts, if it's only Jesus, it's not appealing. And that's a problem because heaven is all about Jesus. And if it's not appealing, if we're not completely in love with Jesus, It's not appealing at all. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but as you read the Bible from cover to cover, it's about Jesus. From the very beginning to the very end, it's all about Jesus. This life, the life that we're living right now, is all about Jesus. Marriage is about Jesus. The two becoming one is the pointer that points to how the the miracle of Jesus uniting with His church Parenting points us to Jesus because we get to see a glimpse of what it means to love a kid like a father or a mother. Pain points us to Jesus because it identifies us with the the pain that he experienced on the cross. All of life, every single moment 
It's designed to point us to Jesus. And the problem is, is that we fall in love with temporary things and substitute them for something that is eternal, that are actually pointing us to Him. So maybe today is the day that you finally get before God and say, God, I need to repent because I am addicted to this world and it has kept me from loving you and loving you the way I need to. The second thing in your notes today about heaven is that the reality of heaven should change the way we pray. The reality of heaven should change the way we pray. Think about how you pray. Think about how we pray. How do we pray? We pray for safety, don't we? God, keep my my kids safe. God, keep uh, my parents safe. God, I pray that this person will be healed. God, I pray that this person will overcome this hard time that they're going through. God, I pray for, for God for you to keep our family safe on this trip. We pray for safety. We pray for blessings. God, would you provide a job for my friend? Would you provide a job for me? I'm out of a job. God, would you help me? the, the, The ends aren't meeting. I don't know how we're going. God, would you bless us? You ever notice how we pray? I think that if we actually stood in front of the reality of heaven and hell, we'd start to pray differently. So let me just ask you a question. When was the last time you pleaded with God to rescue somebody from hell? When was the last time you pleaded with God? When was the last time, if you're a parent in here, when was the last time you prayed for your kids and you prayed for their eternal destiny? When was the last time that you said, God, I don't want them to reject you. God, I don't want them to turn their backs on you. God, I don't want them to end up in a place that's away from you. When was the last time? When was the last time you prayed for your spouse, for your parents, for your friends? When was the last time you pleaded with God to rescue somebody from the grips of hell? Because I have no idea when we stand in front of the tension of heaven and hell why Jesus can be so casual for us because he's not he's the central issue that makes a difference between heaven and hell so when somebody we love is rejecting Jesus it should thoroughly break our hearts it's not a casual issue it's a massive issue the third thing in your notes today is that our future life in heaven should transform the way we live our current life. Our future life should transform the way that we live our current life. If we realize that we're going to have a future life in heaven, it should transform the way that we live today. When we realize that there's an eternity, the last after our last day, it should change the way we live each and every day. So what do you love? What do you love? 
What is the thing in life that you love? What is the thing that you are most in love with? Is it your spouse? Do you love your kids? Do you love your job? Do you love your status? Do you love your resources, your money? Do you love your boat? Do you love your vacations? What do you love? Because it's those things that we love and the way that we love them that needs to change if we're going to love Jesus the way we need to love Him. You see, it's not that God's ever going to say, don't love them, don't love your husband, don't love your kids. It's really this. It's not that we love different things. It's that we love things differently when we start to love God the way that we're supposed to. A few weeks ago, I told you hell begins when we look at God and we say no. And God finally, after our rejection, fully says, fine, your will be done. I'm done. Taking my hand off. Your will be done. That's when hell begins. That's when hell enters our relationships, our finances, our life. But heaven starts with a statement that Jesus made in the garden when he was about to go to the cross and bear the penalty of our sin. When he looked into the heart of the Father and said, I want your will to be done, not mine. That's where heaven begins in our lives. So what is the will of God? What's the will of God for you? What does God want from you? Do you realize that Jesus was asked that question? In a very simple way in Matthew 22, Teacher, what is the most commandment in the law of Moses? Watch what he says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the problem is not that some of us don't love Jesus, but that we don't love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. He's in second place. He's in third place. He's in fourth place. But he's not the greatest love of our lives. The only way to be excited about heaven and eternal life is to be completely in love with Jesus. So I want to ask you this question as we get ready to close. Do you believe in eternal life? Do you believe in it? Do you really believe in it? Do you really, I mean like to the core, believe in it? Does it shape the way you live, the way you mourn, the way you get excited? Do you really believe in eternal life? Hundreds of years ago, the Congo was settled as much as the world was to exploit its resources, unlike the United States, which was settled to become a place of residence. And so the people of the Congo were weary of new arrivals. Missionaries arrived there hundreds of years ago to share the love of Jesus. And the Congo was one of the places within the British Empire that the gospel spread rapidly. There were hundreds of people who came to know Jesus. At the 100-year mark, 100 years after ministry had began, they held a celebration. To celebrate all the lives that had been changed. 
They worship together, they sing together, they read scripture together in the back of the auditorium. An older man stood up in the back of the crowd and said, I have a confession to make. He came forward. He said, when you first arrived here, we had no idea who you were or what your intentions were. We didn't know whether you were here to take from us or to really if your claims were true. And so the elders of our people decided that we would put you through a test. We began to poison you. Specifically, we poisoned your children. And we watched one by one as you buried your kids. And we watched as that reality of heaven was so real in your hearts and so real in your mourning and so real in the way that you went through those seasons. He said this. It was as we watched how they died that we decided that we wanted to live as Christians. Do you really believe in eternal life? So much so that as God takes things away in this world that you hold it with an open hand and say, God, it doesn't matter because life is all about you. And eternity is all about you. And all I'm doing right now is getting in a dress rehearsal so that one day I can stand in your presence and worship you with the rest of the people who have declared that you are their Lord and Savior. Because this world, this life, my life is just simply pointing to you. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.